All right, so Micah, written by Micah. <laughs> Once again, we have a clue to the date because it says in verse 1, Hi, Terry Lee. And Wendy and Carmen. Hello, ladies. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. That's okay. The weather. What? That's her. It's the weather. It was her fault? No. What the weather? You wouldn't like it if you played it. right? No, you just. It's just fun. That's all. So, Micah, chapter 1, verse 1, tells us the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So what do we see in that first verse that can give us a little bit of cu clues to our context? Well, it's after the split of the north and south. Good. After the split of the north and south, yep. Because it says Judah, and then it says Samaria, right? So we have that. What else do we see? Um, it's for more than just the Israelites because concerning Samaria, yeah. which were their sworn enemies, but still people Yeah, yep. Yeah. Samaria, also well, a, a uh, name for northern Israel, Israel. Yeah. in this, con in oh, this context. Oh, okay. Well. I'm, yep. I'm sorry. That's okay. No, but you're right. I mean, Samaritans are still just that at some point they also use that as a, as a way of describing the northern kingdom, right? Well, we see some names in here, right? So we say in, in the days of who? Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. These guys were all kings of Judah, right? So that tells us time context. That tells us, okay, we got real people on real thrones, and so therefore we have an idea of when this book was because we know when people like uh, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were on the throne because we have history. And we have um, all kinds of dates about that. So it's about the 8th century B.C. It is. Uh, he's a contemporary of Isaiah, but he prophesied about 100 years before uh, Jeremiah. Hey, guys. And so Jeremiah, actually, Micah is maybe the only prophet besides maybe Jeremiah and Isaiah that were, was quoted. And so Jeremiah is actually quoted in, I'm sorry, Micah is actually quoted in the book of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah was like, hey, look back to what Micah said about this because it's about to happen. And so... We can tell from that that Micah's uh, prophecy was taken very seriously uh, by the people of Israel, right? So everybody kind of knew that. So it covers right before the invasion and parts of the exile itself, right? And one author summarizes the big idea this way. God will judge all people, yet he will save a remnant through a future king. God will judge all people, but yet he will save a remnant through a future king. And so we've seen some, uh, I guess, maybe one-word themes in some of the books that we've seen. Think back to, if you were here, think back to the book of Hosea. What would you maybe describe as one or two words for the theme of Hosea? Think back to the shocking language of Hosea. Wendy's going back to her notes. <laughs> I wasn't here. No, we're in here. Oh, sorry. Not you. That Wendy. We're all the objects Yep. He uses shocking language about um, women of ill repute that he should go and marry, right? 
Gomer. Adultery, the Gomers, right? So spiritual adultery, maybe. Um, Hosea, I'm uh, sorry, Joel. Do we remember anything about Joel? Maybe what would be a good, a good phrase or two to describe Joel? What did Joel talk about a lot? It was a phrase with three words, four words. <laughs> Sounds like Joel talked a lot about the day of the Lord. Oh, right now. Day of the Lord is coming, meaning judgment is coming. There it is, right in my notes. Right in your notes. Yep. So if we're looking at Hosea, maybe we'd think spiritual adultery. If we're looking at Joel, maybe we would think day of the Lord. How about Jonah? Fresh on our minds from last week. One or two words. The whining prophet. We even mentioned him yesterday in the Bible study. Jonah? Yes. Oh, good for you. What's Jonah, what's Jonah a story of? Besides the whining prophet. A whale. A whale. <laughs> okay. A whale or a very large Anger. Fish. Anger, okay. Selfish. Yep, yep. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and obedience. preach to them in hopes that, yep, obedience and hopes that they would repent, right? Forgiveness. Forgiveness, yeah. So I think uh, repentance would be a good word to talk about Jonah. And, and we see, hopefully, even Jonah repenting from his kind of selfishness and craziness, although we don't have a lot of confirmation about that. But he sure gets rebuked. Right. And so I'm going to propose the word for Micah to be remnant. What is a remnant? Leftover. A leftover? What is that? So there's just a little bit left. Just a little bit left. It is. If everybody demolished the smash pie from Clothebrook on Easter Sunday and there's just a little bit left. There's none left. There's none left. <laughs> so much for that remnant. Yeah. There's no longer a remnant. Right? It's a little piece. So why might think think theologically now? What might God be saying about a remnant with Israel? It's also part of something. The remnant is a part okay. of something that was there already. Okay. So let's keep going with that. If the rest of Israel is the Clovebrook pie, pie that's gone, right? Oh. They disobeyed. They rejected God. They worshipped idols, right? But there's this one little part that maybe is faithful to God. Right? That's the part that God is going to save. Right? So he's not going to make a complete end to Israel. He's going to save those who are faithful to him, those who repent and those who trust God and believe God. Does that sound familiar to anyone in any New Testament contexts? Any remnants? Does Paul use the word remnant at all? He does. He uses the word remnant in uh, Romans. We'll see. He talks about faithfulness. People that, uh, amongst a background of sinfulness, there will be people that will be faithful to God, and God will be faithful to them. Right? So it's kind of setting this backdrop of even what we see today, right? We're the remnant, for sure, amongst all of our culture that has turned their backs on God. And we're going to learn all about that Sunday morning when we plow through some serious theological territory in Romans 1, 18 through 25. But tonight, we're talking about Micah. So chapter 1. Let's look at the first couple of verses. Here, you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you. 
and the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him. And the valleys will split open like wax before the fire. Like waters poured out down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. Excuse me. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations, and all her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I lay waste. And from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. Okay, first impressions. From our first couple verses in Micah, what's the general mood going on here? Doom and gloom. Doom and gloom, right? <laughs> More of the same, right? Oh yes, we come to midweek to be encouraged, and for like the fifth week in a row, God is telling them they're going to be smoldering piles of ash when he gets through with them, right? He is not coming for a happy visit, he's coming for judgment, yep. and he's coming for judgment because of their sin, and that makes it very, very clear in verse 5. All this is for the transgression of Jacob. So there's coming judgment from God. And much like last week, I think it's good if we continue uh, talking about what do we learn about God and what do we learn about ourselves uh, in these passages. So what do we learn about God? What do we, just even in those verses that I read there, what do we learn about God? There are some things that we see about his character or anything else. Power. His power? Yeah, the mountains melt. Isn't the that a picture? Yeah. The mountains will melt. Yeah. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Lava. I mean, maybe some of us have been around some pretty big mountains. Like, they're just going to melt. Split like wax by the fire, he says. Yeah, absolutely. The unbelievable power of God. So yeah. he's serious about the sin against him. Yep. yep. He is very serious about the sin against him. Yeah, that never yeah. changes. <laughs> I mean, that's as far as I'm thinking, but that's all I got. Yeah. Oops, sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Who is, uh, who's the one bringing this disaster again? Is God just standing by and saying, oh, well, they're going to get overrun and good for them? No, he's, he's the one orchestrating this, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you skip down to verse 12, uh, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. So again, we see the jaw-dropping sovereignty of God, that he's allowing his nation to be overrun. He's using the evil that's in the hearts of the Assyrian Empire, and he's going to redeem it for his purposes as well. But at the end of the day, he's allowing it. Right? We see that sovereignty. Yeah, he's, he's using them to for his judgment on, exactly. on Samaria. Just like he used Israel... To judge the Canaanites and right. all of those people. Yep. So like the nations, like millions and millions of people, the nations are like his pawns, you know, that, that he for for his purposes, right? Yep. Allows them to do uh, his bidding. What yeah, do we learn about ourselves? Until they get judged. Until they get judged. That's that's the other thing too, is they're responsible for their actions, right? right? Because it is their evil that's in them. God doesn't 
send that evil because God can't send evil, but he uses the evil that's in the hearts. Case in point, you go to the cross. Mm -hmm. It's like, who put Jesus on the cross? Well, God did, and he used the evil that was in the hearts of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Romans to do it. So it's just crazy to think about that, right? What about ourselves? If you maybe skim the rest of uh, some of that chapter or anything else that comes to mind, what do we see about ourselves? What about verse 16? Make yourselves bald, no bald jokes, and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. Was, it's a little bit cultural, a little bit contextual, but was, was if somebody were uh, to cut all their hair off in that day and age. In today, obviously, it's a sign of masculinity, <laughs> strength, and Where is that right? and <laughs> What verse was that? It's, uh, it's in the Hebrew. I mean, it's, it's today, so it's not in there. Culturally, that's what I'm saying. But back, but back then, um, was it a shameful thing to be bald? Uh, yes. Yeah. They were told yeah. many times not to cut their... Yeah, their... it was absolutely a shameful thing to be bald. And so we could surmise from this that we should be... We should lament over sin. Mm. We should grieve over sin. We, we should be ashamed. Eight? Yeah. Um, what is mourning like with the old stretch? Is that like sticking your head in the sand? Like <laughs> I do? You know? That I don't know. It might be a noise that the ostrich makes okay. that sounds like mourning. I'd have to look yeah, into it. Yeah. I stick my head in the sand. <laughs> I have a like an owl. Oh, okay. What's that? Mourn like an owl. Mourn like an owl. You have what? Mourn like an ostrich. They are very different birds. Good old ambiguous Hebrew, right? Literally means daughters of the desert. Let's go. Let's go to the videotape. Yeah. <laughs> and morning like the ostriches. Hmm. Yes, I did. Yeah. Morning is the owls. Yeah. The Hebrew is a little wonky there, so nobody's landing in a particular place. Most guys are just kind of skipping over that. <laughs> there must be something about the ostrich, or I mean, you can tell the owl. You know. Sounds like somebody might be, you know, weeping or something like that. What version says owl? Mine says. What version? Oh, it's owl like a jackal and owl like an owl. An NIV. Yeah, NIV. NIV. Yep. Am I the only one with the owl? NIV. Oh, okay. It looks like a fox. Yep. All right, let's move on to chapter two. Titled in my Bible, Woe to the Oppressors. And so once again, as Ken reminded us, right, uh, those that commit sins are going to be judged themselves, right? We'll read a couple verses from chapter 2. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore... Thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster. 
In that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people. He removes it from me. To an apostate he allots our fields. Therefore you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Um, all right, so what do we see in those couple verses? Wait, they did? They were coveting? They did. Yeah, very good. So they're definitely breaking God's law. Yep. What else are they doing? Sounds like they're taking away inheritance, which even they're not supposed to take away inheritance of the poor. Nope. That's definitely breaking a couple more a couple more commandments. Oh yeah. Theft. Theft. Yep. Honoring your neighbor or mm-hmm. speaking falsely about your neighbor. There's a sense, too, um, of people that are, uh, if we skip down maybe to verse 8 and 9, lately my people have risen up as an enemy. They strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of, of war. Uh, the women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. As for their young children, you take away my splendor forever. So we have... What's coming into focus here are, are these people that are oppressed, these people who are marginalized, right? They're not the rich and the powerful. They're the strong, they're the weak mm-hmm. and the marginalized of society. So once again, we see this coming into play. It's a very common theme in Israel. Not only were they worshiping false idols, they were also not ca- taking care of their own people. And to the extent they were not taking care of their own people, they were oppressing and taking advantage of the poor, yeah. which God cares a lot about. And so you'll see that in a lot of the prophets. Jeremiah as well, we talked about that when we were in Jeremiah, right? God notices uh, the plight of the poor, and God cares about that, and he gets really angry, especially people who are your brothers and sisters in Israel are exploiting you and stealing your inheritances and your fields and other things. And so we're learning about God, that he cares about the poor and the oppressed. Jump down to verse 12. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. There's our word. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like flock in a pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, and the Lord is at their head. What do we see here? A little bit of change of tone. Yeah. He said he's going to gather them. He's going to assemble them. I'm going to gather the remnant. So there's a definite change of tone here. It's not so much the uh, I'm going to melt the mountains and come down and smash you all. Mm -hmm. Right? Now it's more I'm going to gather you up. I'm going to be at your head. (coughs) Right? So we see God changing his tone. We see hints again of salvation. You're dropping the remnant word again. I'm going to care for the remnant. I'm going to go before you. So we see a hope of salvation. Restoration. And, yep, and restoration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do we learn about ourselves? Does God care how we treat other people? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's tons of... of um, verses in Deuteronomy about the poor, yeah. um, where God gave, you know, um, 
you know, for there will never cease to be poor in the land, therefore I command you, you shall yeah. open wide your hand to your brother, yeah. to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Yep. So, not, yeah, good just, not just to the Israelites, but to anyone who was in their land. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Even in God's law, right, they had um, uh, provisions for the poor. Yep. You didn't glean all your crops. And that's just you left one some among of your many. For the poor. Yep. That's one among a bunch. Yeah, definitely. So we need to be very aware of, of the poor in our society, right? And that carries through the New Testament, right? Yep. Even even Paul in the New Testament, the Jerusalem Council, uh, Jerusalem Council, right? They, Paul wanted to remember the poor, and that was part of the early church, right? All the stuff we have now is the church's idea. The hospitals, the orphanages, the schools, all of that was from the church. And unfortunately, we punted on a lot of that, and now it's the government. But it started with us. And so that can, so God does definitely care how we treat other people. right? Look at uh, an interesting verse in verse 6. Um, <laughs> it's in quotes, right? So this is what's being said to Micah. Do not preach, they say, or they preach. And they say, they say again, one should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Mm. So what are people saying to Micah? Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to hear this yeah. judgment. We don't want to hear we're under conviction of God. We don't want to hear we're going to be exiled. Yeah. Right? Disgrace yeah. will not overtake us. Yeah, they're proud. Yeah. Pride. We're God's people. Yeah. He would never do that to us. Not us. Be quiet, Micah. Stop telling us hard truths. Do not prattle. <laughs> yeah. Do not prattle? I said, do not prattle, you say to those who prophesy. Nice. <laughs> yeah. That's a good word, Barbara. I like twaddle better. <laughs> prattle and twaddle. I like yeah. shut up. <laughs> there you go. I know, right? You skip down to verse 11, he kind of riffs on that a little more, and he's kind of going back at them, and he says, If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I'll preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. <laughs> he's like, Hey, guess what? Yeah, I know what you want. You don't want hard truth. You want people that are going to be windbags and tell you everything that you want to hear. Like, hey, we're going to have lots of wine and bourbon. It's going to be great. Right? But he says that would be what you want to hear. But that's not what you need to hear. So, sorry. So, we need people who are going to tell the truth. Right? We need faithful pastors and elders uh, who will do that. All right, let's look at chapter 3. Rulers and prophets denounced. I'll read a little bit. And I said, here's Micah. Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them. Lots of visual imagery here. And break their bones into pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Micah's a little, he's a little triggered. He's a little ticked off right now. Yeah. I did. I, 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 I boiled down a chicken carcass today. So there you go. So you, all like, so you chopped up some, some bean bones yourself. They will cry. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. 
Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when we have something to eat and declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So yeah, Micah's uh, fired up. He's again going after them. He's like, listen guys, you know, stop telling me not to tell you the bad news. Like, you're the ones who are in serious trouble. Look at how you are treating our people. And he goes into graphic detail, right? They're going to cry to the Lord and the Lord's not going to answer you. You're leading people astray. Right? Verse 8 is actually a really important verse because it is actually uh, Micah's mission. This is, this is his mission, verse 8. He says, but as for me, so he draws this contrast, right? All you guys over there, the false prophets and the people that are oppressing other people, that's not me. As for me, I'm filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, with justice and might to declare Jacob's transgression and Israel his sin. So what is he called to do? To um, proclaim their rebellion. Yeah, he's got to speak truth. Sorry, to guys. Truth. Yeah, I'm here to. I'm sent by God to tell yeah. you the, the bad news. I'm telling you about your sin. You <clears throat> need to repent. I'm not going to tell you about you know how wonderful everything is because it's not right. And so also, he's talking to the rulers and the prophets, right? He's talking to uh, the heads of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel. And so what we learn about God is that he holds spiritual leaders to a higher standard. Yeah. Right? He's coming after them first. What does the Bible say in the New Testament about spiritual leaders? And... Hmm. Give an account. Yeah. yeah. Hebrews 13. Is it 17. spiritual leaders or is it the leaders of Israel as well as the spiritual leaders of Israel? Well, theoretically, those were the spiritual leaders, right? They were both they were yeah. one and the same because yeah. of the theocracy. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. It's always a terrifying verse for a pastor and elder to read. And so it's yeah, God holds leaders and teachers to a higher standard, and so that's why He's so hard on them, because they've contributed to this. Stink bug. Oh, it still went to you, Wendy. No, it. <laughs> it's going to stink. That's why I call it a stink bug. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Throw them outside. All right. Hang on. There we go. <laughs> You stay there till you think about what you've done. <laughs> and repent. <laughs> We're going to convert it. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. What is God again? What do we see God doing here through Micah? He's really fired up in the first couple verses. He's fired up about how they're treating the people of God. And so 
what does that tell us again about God? Does he care for his people? Yeah. Does he fight for them? Yes. Does he notice the oppressed, right? Uh, one note I read said, uh, Just as the magistrates have refused to hear the cries of the oppressed, so God will refuse to hear their cry in the time of judgment. And picture that. Picture the Assyrian army kicking in their front door and coming in. And you better believe these prophets and people who have grown fat off of the, the backs of the, the poor are now screaming for their mommies. <coughs> right? And God says, cool, story, not going to hear you. You had your chance. I, I sent Micah. You ignored him. So, not going to happen. Micah 3.12 is, is the verse that's quoted by Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah points to this verse, quotes it verbatim, and says, Therefore, because of you, leaders, Zion shall be plowed like a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountains of the house a wooded height. So you see the kind of nested prophecies here, Jeremiah quoting Micah and saying, nope, we're still saying the same thing, guys. It's still coming. Mm -hmm. What do we learn maybe about ourselves in chapter 3? Don't want to be a ruler. <laughs> Don't want to be a ruler. Yeah. Yep. I got a question. How, I mean, why doesn't this happen today or does it happen? Define what? What do you mean? Uh, what? A, a prophet going to the leaders and warning them. Going to the leaders of our country or yeah, the leaders like, of yeah, here, the church? America. Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because in Israel it was one and the same as I yeah. just. Yeah. You know, yeah. we were just talking about a moment ago, but yep. now we have you know pagan nations essentially. America yeah. used to be. You know, was founded as a Christian nation, but not anymore. It's right. Past well, that. yes, and there's varying schools of thought there, right? Yeah. Um, we know from Romans that our, our governors, our, our government is called the, the diaconate. It's called the servants of God. Our government is supposed to right. enforce the law of God. Yep. <laughs> They're obviously doing a terrible job at that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. How to get kicked off YouTube in one easy lesson, right? Mm -hmm. The government's doing a terrible <laughs> job. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm just warming up for, for the sermon two weeks from now in, in Romans when we blatantly talk about homosexuality for an hour, so it'll be fun. Um, <laughs> you mean like a prophet doing this? You know, like yeah, I would... Like God doesn't send prophets anymore, does he? Well, we have this, right? Just like we were talking about this morning in Bible study, right? We have this. So this is God's... God's this is his message, right? right? New Testament and Old Testament. And so I would say two things. He does... And there's definitely a prophetic voice that's in Scripture, right? When, when you are saying, a prophet says, thus says the Lord. That's what Micah is saying, right? And so when you're, when you're reading and you're preaching Scripture, you're saying, thus says the Lord. I'm not saying anything different than what's in here. I'm, I'm saying what this is saying. But there's also a prophetic shade of applying it, right? And so that's where this would come in and say, hey, uh, United States government, you're looking a lot like Israel right here, and you're oppressing people and that's got to stop right because God cares about the oppressed right it's also on the church too and I would say that's what pastors right. do they speak prophetically over the church and say look this is us where are we doing this you know are we still tempted to do this of course we are it's more like I guess every Christian has this obligation yes. exactly. yeah yeah yep mm -hmm. yeah. yep okay. every Christian does have because we all have the word of God mm -hmm. right and so 
how does it then apply to our situations, right? And so, I mean, even about ourselves, even about our culture, we still know that people oppress other people. It still is a rampant issue. I think it's also just kind of important to know the reason why prophets were important in the first place. Yeah. As you just stated, that we have the word. Yep. None of them did. It's like asking the question, why don't we see miracles happen today yeah. as much as they did right. back then? But yep. if you notice the importance of why the miracles exactly. were there, yeah. it was to show like, what Jesus is saying, what God was capable of doing. Yeah, um, definitely. I think those are like important things to know is that it's important. Yeah, and that's a great point. Like We have it here, right? We read, thus says the Lord. Right. But right. this was actually Micah saying, thus says yeah. the Lord. Listen up, like hear the words of my mouth. And those were the words that then I recorded in Scripture. God needed someone who was actually going to carry out yep. and deliver the message. Yep, yep. And so I would say, Joanne, yes, it still needs to happen. And here's the message. And we still need to be proclaiming this message and all of it. Now, there's a danger in that, right? Because especially with the oppression of the poor, the marginalized, that could become your whole gospel. Right, you could truncate the actual gospel and say it's just really important that we take care of those people that are marginalized and oppressed. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's true, we do, but that's not all we're called to. Right. Like, there's the actual gospel that we're called to, so it can't take the place of that. It's part of it, right? Yeah. But it can't. It can't be the social justice gospel. That's that's where we fall off the cliff there. I have a question. Yeah. Do you think location? Like geographically, have something to do with that too. Like, do you think that there might be uh, more prophesying done in like maybe a third world country that doesn't have so much uh, media or technology or something? Like that? I do. Yeah, I like do. less access to the word. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do, and I think God still works in that way. And I think that, um, yeah, depend. He's not going to let his people, right, um, be, go unsaved. Right. He's he's not. He's going to lose none of whom the Father has given him. Uh, this is so, from Romans, but I, I think it says that like God's clearly seen our his invisible qualities, is yeah. clearly seen in nature. Yep. You know, so it's like it's Sunday. Twenty. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do be there Sunday. Exactly. Yeah, that's general revelation, right? Yeah. People see creation and they yeah. should know that there's a just God. went into that Monday night at care group too. Oh, good. Over <laughs> there. We we'll warming up for Sunday. Yep. For sure. Warming up for yep. Sunday. Yep. So a couple things, right? We have people that have always been attempted to oppress others, and we need to speak out. We need men like the Micahs of today to actually speak out against that, right? But not compromise the gospel. So we need uh, prophets who are going to stand on the word of God and not be tempted to water down the message or make it be something that they think people will accept, right? Because that's what he's mocking them for. He's like, sure, if you guys preached about wine and beer, you'd be the most popular people in the world. But... That's not what he's there for. That's still true today. Exactly. <laughs> if that was our message, we'd be the most popular people in the well, world. Well, yeah, but you see that whatever it is, right? The right. Itching ears, people want to hear. But it's the same thing. If you tell people about the wrath of God, they really don't want to hear that they're sinners and true. that they need saviors from the wrath of God. So, yep. so it, you know, it applies to each and every one of us. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's not. It's not about. How special you are. Yeah. And, yeah. All the blessings. And how good you've done and all of that stuff. Yes. And believe for your breakthrough. God's got a plan for your life. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter (laughs) 4. 
Chapter 4. You see the mountain of the Lord. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it will be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Mm. What's happening here? Ooh. Now we got kind of another turn. What was the last verse you read? Uh, verse 2. Yeah, I just read 1 and 2. Of chapter 4. Of 4? Oh, okay. It sounds like many nations are going to come to the Lord. Okay. Through Where have we heard such a thing as that before? <laughs> Isaiah? Yep. Isaiah 2? Yep. Okay. Where did we hear it originally? Originally, where did we first hear? No, that? where did where did God first say it originally? Yeah, Abraham. Yeah, this is still the plan, guys. Yeah. God will bless all of the nations through you, right? <laughs> but but I'm confused. Like God's also saying that Jerusalem, Zion, is going to be a smoldering pile of rubble. Mm -hmm. So, how is it going to be rebuilt? And, and what's what's going to happen here? How's the law going to go out from Jerusalem again? What is this? What could this be? The new Jerusalem. Okay. Ultimately, yes, I would say that is definitely correct, right? Um, speaking of mountains, like sometimes it's helpful to think of prophecies as like, you know, the mountain you're standing on, okay, this is what Mike is saying, but there's also a mountain in the distance right. where that will be fulfilled, and maybe there's another mountain in the distance where that will be fulfilled. What you just said with the New Jerusalem, right? That's probably the farthest mountain. And yes and amen to that, because there will be one day where... But uh, if people we will. talk about a remnant before, yeah. uh -huh. that's going to be left behind. Uh -huh. So now we are back to the, you know... Back to the what? You're so close! <laughs> <laughs> that the remnant that rebuilds Jerusalem and, and where the root of Jesse is going to spring from. Yep, you're so close. Sunday school answer. Come and, on. Then, and then Jesus arrives. <laughs> Jesus, right? So the, the, the fulfillment that we're enjoying right, right now that we see is in the church right. of Jesus Christ. And Judah had to survive in order for yep. that to happen because yep. God's that saying, I, I can't completely destroy you because I still got, I still got a plan. plan. It's still going to happen. Hebrews 12 picks this up. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. Okay, already we got bells going off, right? Mm -hmm. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in a festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to... Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. So the author of Hebrews, as he so often does, ties together a lot of the Old Testament imagery and says, this is going to be fulfilled in the church of Jesus Christ when this comes. That's where that's going to happen. And when people read that in Hebrews, their, their brains were probably thinking a passage like this in Micah about the promise of, of Mount Zion, right? So it's not so much uh, the physical rebuilding of Jerusalem, and yes, there are people walking the planet that think that Jerusalem's going to be physically rebuilt, and the temple's going to be physically there, and 
people are going to sacrifice things again and everything's going to be just like the good old days. Probably not, right? But he says in verse uh, five or three, the end of verse three, again, they shall ble beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we heard something else that sounded an awful lot like mm -hmm. that? A yeah. couple times. What's that? A couple times. A couple times. We have. So very... Joel said it in Joel 3, but he actually said it the opposite way. Right. In Joel 3, uh, verse 10, he said, Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears and say, I'm a warrior. Exactly. You know, and now they're coming into peace. Again, saying, okay, well, how is this peace going to happen? Mm. Through Jesus Christ. Right, through that. So we learn about God that he will restore. And that's going to happen in the latter days, which we are in now, of course. Again, God cares about the poor and the afflicted. We've hit that many times in verses 6 and 7. He talks about that. They're included in the, the remnant, right? Um, look at verse 10. Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you'll be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hands of your enemies. Which, imagine hearing this. You're probably like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, well, no, I'm going to writhe and groan like a woman in labor, but I've never had a baby. I've seen it twice. But... <laughs> You, you have a baby when you're done, right? It, it is painful, but you have a child after you're done. So it's like, okay, that, that's kind of hopeful, you know? And then he says, um, you'll go out from the city and, and dwell in open country. Okay, I, I guess that's okay. And he says, then you'll go to Babylon. It's like, whoa, <laughs> hold on here. How do we get to Babylon? Mm -hmm. right, so he's prophesying not only that Assyria will come in, after Assyria is done, Babylon will come in, right? And take what's left. But then he says, there you'll be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. It's like you have to go through this stuff to be redeemed. You have to go through all that stuff, just like when you have a baby. You have to go through the pain, you have a baby. But you also have to, right, go through a trial in order to be redeemed and rescued from a trial. That's where you're going to be redeemed from. Of course, our tendency is to be like, can we skip that? <laughs> can we have the baby without the labor? Or can we uh, be rescued without going to Babylon? No pain. That right? That's not the way it works in God's economy. Right? We're always going to have enemies, and those enemies in verse 11 were looking at them, wishing ill against them. Let her be defiled and let her, her eyes gaze upon Zion. Right? They want to see Israel destroyed. That's what they want to see. And they want to rejoice in that. But God is faithful to his people. Let's look at chapter 5. It says, Muster your troops, O daughter of troops. The siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, Bethlehem of Pathra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming is from old, from ancient of days. Does that sound familiar to anybody? What is he talking about there? What's going to happen in Bethlehem? Jesus. Oh, little town on Bethlehem. 
right? It's, it's the prophecy of the Messiah being born. Picked up directly in Matthew, in chapter 2, he quotes this very passage after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And he's like, guys, this is how it's supposed to happen. Remember what Micah said? Here it is. This is what's happening. So yeah, New Testament ties this directly to Jesus. And in the context of saying you're going to be rescued, you're going to be rescued by Jesus. You're going to be rescued by the Messiah. Again, God fulfills his promise. I think it's interesting that you, I tended not to want to be bothered with the minor prophets when I was first reading through. But then some of them have the most... Yeah. It's going to get better. Stay tuned. Six and seven are really good, which is why I want to get there. <laughs> um, but yeah, big takeaway from chapter five, the Messiah is coming, and we know it, and the New Testament talks about it and, and quotes this passage directly. Look at chapter, well, before we get out of chapter five, look at but verse. It's also part of the reason why the Israelites were expecting a military Messiah too, yeah. though, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yes, we one to free us, right, mm -hmm. from our, just like we were going to get freed from Babylon, right. which didn't happen, uh, right? Um, they're going to be freed from Roman oppression, yeah. right? Yeah. In verse 7, he talks about the remnant again, the remnant of Jacob. So we see that word popping up again. But then chapter 6, one of the most famous verses of Micah, like if you know Micah or you've probably heard this verse before, he has told you, O oh man, what is good. Right? This is what the Lord requires. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, even just what we've walked through, right? what does that mean in context? What is he, what is he telling them to do? Where were you reading from? 6-8. Yeah. Ah, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Trying to put the pedal down a little bit here. Okay. You guys have heard this verse before? Yeah, I have. Yes. Underlined. <laughs> it's usually in t-shirts and coffee mugs. <laughs> what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What do we take away from that? What does God want from us? Obedience. Obedience? Yeah. You imitate him. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It just doesn't want, again, box-checking Christianity or box-checking uh, God-following in the Old Testament. These are heart things. Yeah. Do justice. You actually have to do these things. Don't oppress your people. Right? What's this? Love kindness. Not just be kind, but love to be kind. Right? Those are heart words. And to walk not proudly, but to walk humbly with your God. So the opposite of pride so this is a massively important passage. The guy's like, hey, if you do these things, Micah's like, just do these things. Let me break it down, put the cookies on the bottom shelf for your Israel. Here it is. This is what God wants from you. These three things. Just walk it out. Sadly, they're not going to do that. But he tells them directly, this is what the Lord wants from you. And it's still what the Lord wants from us. <clears throat> What about us in 2023 America in this verse? How do we walk this out? 
the Lord still require this of us? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So these are things that need to be on our minds and hearts for sure. Well, we could say pretty simply, love God, love others. Mm -hmm. There you go. Just like Jesus said. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, in 9 through 16, he has a wonderful passage about the destruction of the wicked. <laughs> it says, guess what? The wicked will be judged. You're not getting away with it. I know everything you're doing, and you will be judged. Right. So again, we learned for, about ourselves that we don't get away with sin. God sees everything. And then we get to chapter 7. He starts off, Woe is me, for I have become when the summer fruit has been gathered, when the grapes have been gleaned. There's no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth. And there's no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe. The great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them like a thorn head. So picture like if you're going to pick some fruit off of a thorny plant, and there's nothing left except the thorns. Um, the day of your watchman, of your punishment, has come. Now confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. He's like, it's so bad, you can't even trust your wife. From the son that greets the father with contempt, the daughter that rises up against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies are the men of his own house. And then he turns again. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Major contrast, right? Mm -hmm. Verses 1 through 6 talk about everything that's terrible in society. Right? Does this kind of sound like uh, our society? Yeah. A little bit? Yep. Verse 2, the godly has perished from the earth. Sometimes it seems like that, right? Both hands are good at accomplishing evil, mine says in the next verse. <laughs> <laughs> They're ambidextrous at yeah. evil, yes. Yeah. I like that version. Yeah. Both yeah. hands. Yeah. So I, I think we're always tempted to feel like our generation is kind of the worst and the most evil. Yeah. But, you know, it's three. The human heart and human, human sin yeah. has been around for a long time. I know. I know. Like, how much worse can we get? Yeah. My dad used to say that. Every generation said that. If you live today, I don't. Yeah. He would shake his head. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we've got to be historically informed, right? This, you know, human sin is, is not a new concept. It's, it's been destroying societies since it was unleashed, especially in Israel. Um. Look at, uh, he continues this kind of, this kind of uh, motivational speech, right? Verse 7, he sees, we see he makes a clear departure from that. He's like, that's not me. Everybody else around me might be godless, but not me. I'm going to look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Look at verse 8. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. For when I fall, I shall rise. 
When I sit in the darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against him. Until he pleads my case and executes judgment for me, he will bring me out into the light and I shall look upon his vindication. What is that? This, this moxie out of nowhere that Micah is saying. Well, he's saying Israel's going the remnant is going to rise again. Yep. You know. Is there ownership going on here? Yeah. Absolutely. They, they, yeah, they belong to God. He's like, yeah, I'll bear the indignation of the Lord because I yep. sinned against yep. him. I'll take it. And you know what? I'll wait for him to redeem me as well. Because yeah. he will. Until he pleads my cause. Yeah. I mean, that sounds a lot like Jesus. Okay? Yeah. That we are... Yeah. Um, my friend John Piper uh, calls this fighting like a justified sinner. Mm. And he says, Micah has gutsy guilt. And I'll just read a little bit from Piper. Um, astonishingly, astonishingly, in all his contrition and gloom under God's anger, Micah gets in the face of his enemy and says, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I will rise. The enemy's rubbing it in. The enemy is saying that the sin of Micah cuts him off from his God. The enemy is lying and trying to make Micah hopeless. This is a major battle against Micah's joy in God. And Micah fights well. He preaches the gospel of justification by faith. He gives an example of how to fight for joy with the weapon of the gospel. He says, when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Remember, this darkness is the Lord's discipline. God's indignation burns. And in the midst of the darkness imposed by God, Micah says, God will be my light. He counts on God's light in the darkness that God himself has sent. That is gutsy. In the midst of his guilt and in the gloom of his consequences, he knows that a limit has been set to the darkness. God will come. This idea of owning uh, what has happened to us, and especially in life for us, as those who have been forgiven and justified and those who are children of God, right? We need to sometimes have this Micah-like gutsy guilt and fight like a justified sinner. Like, yeah, okay, I sinned. I blew it. I'm sitting in darkness, and I deserve it. But guess what? I'm going to get back up because God's going to pull me back up. And so this isn't, you know, it's that, that, that kind of that, that gutsy guilt, as Piper calls it, which I just think is such a beautiful way to say it. <clears throat> it's, it's faith, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's knowing what he's going to do for you. Yep. yep. So many times we become fatalistic if we're in the darkness, right? Yeah. And, and think about how dark it was for Micah, right? But he like rose up and was like, I don't care. I'm going to own what I have to own. I sinned. I deserve it. But guess what? I'm going to get back up. God's going to redeem me. This darkness will pass when he wants it to pass. And I'm going to trust him. So it's just like, yeah, it's like, yeah you go, man. Like, <laughs> Micah, like, stands up in the midst of this. So, a lot of encouragement there for us in that passage, in fighting like a justified sinner. Even when we do blow it badly in sin, like we remember, no, I'm, I, yeah, I sinned, but I'm still a child of God. I'm still forgiven. I'm still justified. And I'm going to course correct by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? That resolve. We don't often see that resolve in our Christian faith. We need more of that resolve. Of, of that resolve that Micah has there. 
And then he ends in this beautiful section, starting in verse 18. He says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. And you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the day of old. Ah, finally we have a minor prophet that ends on a nice, happy, <laughs> encouraging note. Right? Micah is, is a very encouraging prophet in that way. He speaks the truth, right? But he also then speaks the hope very, very clearly in that. You need both. You need both straight truth, but you need the encouragement as well. And really, what Mike is doing is he's pointing to the gospel. He's pointing to how it's ultimately going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So, thoughts, questions, comments, encouraging remarks? That section uh, I read was from Piper's book. His, like, his kind of watershed book was called uh, Desiring God. Um, and that's his whole ministry and his whole deal. <coughs> but he wrote this book called When I Don't Desire God, mm. which I would certainly commend to you. And the subtitle is How to Fight for Joy. And so this is a, a great book, a little bit more manageable than uh, Desiring God, which is about that big. Mm. Um, this is manageable, but it's it's what a what a it's just such a cool thing. Okay, desiring God. Yes, we all should be desiring God, but what happens when I don't desire God? What happens when I am sitting in the darkness? How do I fight for joy? And so I would commend this book to you. If you if you read it, it'd be very, very good. John you. Piper, you said you Jean Piper, yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, no. Well it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. Piper. Yeah, yeah. He's he's got a lot of good stuff. He does. Yeah, he's got a lot of good stuff. He uh, he's he was pastor in Minnesota for three decades, and now he's retired. All right. Well, let me pray for us. Return you to your Wednesdays. Father, we thank you for the book of Micah. Thank you that you preserved it in our Bibles and that we can read these words written maybe in the 8th century B.C. and apply them to our lives today, Lord. Um, Lord, forgive us because we're so tempted to look at Israel with um, disdain and, and with, uh, Lord, judgment for their idolatry, for their, um, their rejection of you. For their sin, we get we do that uh, so many times. We break your law, your law, Lord, and, and we worship other idols and we take things into our hearts that we shouldn't. And so, help us, God, uh, be uh, doing those things that you call us to do, Lord, to to um, do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with you. And help us in those moments too. And Micah had to say some hard words. And there was darkness all around him. And thinking of the uh, incoming invasion, Lord, um, 
but yet he pointed to the hope of you, to that hope of salvation in the remnant. And so, Lord, we are so thankful that you have opened our eyes to the gospel and we are part of the remnant, the new covenant. Uh, may we continue to live lives that are faithful, that proclaim faith in Jesus and show others the way to be part of that remnant so that they can be saved and see you as one who forgives iniquity, Lord, and uh, removes our sin. And so help us to do that well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.